minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. We are the first 365 day a year Packers podcast. You can get all your Pack a Day updates by following us on Twitter at Pack a Day Podcast. And please remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can always check us out on CheeseheadTV.com. My name is Andrew Mertig, and I'm joined by my co-host Kyle Fellows. Kyle, how are you doing? I'm good, Andrew, man. Um, honestly, though, if I'm being completely honest, I'm just really excited to move on from all that was week three in the NFL, especially for the Green Bay Packers. I'm ready to move on from all the gifts of Clay Matthews and... Uh, my reoccurring nightmares of Lance Kendricks and his drop, and my nightmares of Mike McCarthy chasing referees and threatening to kill them. So seriously, though, I'm ready to move on from the week that was so weird in week three and uh, just, just to get into week four. And so to help us do that and to talk about the Packers' week four matchup, we are privileged to have Joe Marino from the Draft Network joining us. You might also know him from the Draft Dudes podcast. Joe is an NFL draft analyst and a great evaluator of college football talent, and at heart is a diehard Buffalo Bills fan. And so Joe has graciously agreed to join us to preview this Sunday's matchup between the Green Bay Packers and the Buffalo Bills. Joe, welcome to the Pack-A-Day podcast. Kyle and Andrew, thanks so much for having me. And yeah, the, I don't uh, keep my Bills fandom hidden. Uh, it, it's out there, and that's probably why I'm such a big draft guy, and, and I've made a career out of that is because... Uh, the Bills in the draft is something we start looking forward to usually pretty early in the season. <laughs> <laughs> there is an upside uh, to, to having that, that bad record that ensures that high draft pick for sure. Um, but I, I don't think anyone could have predicted the whirlwind that week three was in the NFL. We saw more than our fair share of ridiculous upset wins. And honestly, if you would have told me that the Bills would beat the Vikings and the Packers would fall to Washington, I never would have believed you. But here we are, and that is exactly what happened. But, Joe, you are among friends today because anyone who defeats the Minnesota Vikings is a friend of ours. But I do want to ask you, uh, the Buffalo Bills fan, how did they do it? How did the Buffalo Bills, who were 17-point underdogs, pull off an upset really the upset of the week with a rookie quarterback in just his second career start against this Minnesota Vikings team. Well, I think it really comes down to the Vikings have a fatal flaw with their offensive line. And uh, they were, you know, they actually, Pat Elfline got into the game uh, after it started, but uh, you know, their, their, their front five is poor and two of their main pieces, Mike Remmers and Riley Reef were really had a rough outing. They were giving up a ton of pressure. And so the bills were able to really control the line of scrimmage from their with their defensive line, and then they played complementary football on offense. And you know Josh Allen did a really good job of using his athleticism to extend plays. Uh, you know everyone's talking about that hurdle, and then obviously his touchdown run where he extended the ball uh, was a very supremely athletic play. But then also uh, the Bills did a really good job of of uh, having a, a game plan that. Uh, you could tell Allen was comfortable with more so than the previous couple weeks where, you know, Brian Dable, the Bills offensive coordinator, he's known for running this Earhart Perkins passing offense, which puts a lot of stress on the, on the quarterback's uh, mental processing. And so I think it was more simplified this week. Allen was more decisive. 
and uh, he did a really good job of getting the ball out of his hands much quicker than he had in the previous games. And um, you know, Bill's protection held up surprisingly against what uh, we all think is a pretty good Vikings defensive line. And uh, the Bills played complimentary football and, and pulled off the upset. Pulled off the upset. One other thing I want to mention about that is, you know, the Bills were 17-point underdogs. That matters, right? Like, I think that is a, a, almost a point of motivation for these NFL teams. You know, the ones that are wired the right way. And you can you can expect that from a Sean McDermott team. They, they don't take that lightly. They took that very personally. And, uh, you know, you want, you want to go out there. You're a prideful man. You want to go out there and compete and show that, you know, you didn't, you didn't, don't need to be disrespected like that. And I think, you know, it's kind of cheesy and those types of things, but it matters. And I think that was a big motivating factor in the Bills really going into Minnesota and pulling off the big win. Yeah, absolutely. It certainly seems like the Minnesota Vikings might have looked past the Buffalo Bills, and obviously they should not have done that. But it was good to see, you know, Josh Allen get a little bit more comfortable and have some success. Um, but anyone who has listened to the Draft Dudes podcast or read any of your work, Joe, knows that you were not the biggest Josh Allen fan in the pre-draft process. Um, what were the weaknesses in his game that raised those red flags for you? And have you seen any improvement in those first two games that he's played? Yeah, uh, so Josh Allen was my number 90 player in last year's draft class. And, um, <laughs> you know, the thing about Josh Allen, and, and if you read the, my scouting report on him, it, 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 I didn't not acknowledge his upside and the things that he could do because his physical gifts is as good as any quarterback we've seen come out of college, right? I mean, he's he's big, he's athletic, he's got a, a rocket of an arm, he can throw it a million miles. So, I mean, physically he's he's just exceptional. And the problem with Josh has always been putting everything together. And so, you know, when you when you play quarterback, there's so many things that have to work together to, to be successful, starting with your footwork and then being able to diagnose coverage and then being able to have your arm and your in your head connected to make a good, quick decision with the football and then be accurate with it. And so, you know, any one of those things isolated by itself, really good for Josh Allen. Putting it all together, not so good. And so the, the concern was that, you know, you watch this guy in 2016 at Wyoming and you said, okay, well, this is a guy that has a ton of special upside. He's got to get better. And so, you know, he was kind of entering the season. There was the talk that this is the next Cam Newton and this is going to be the number one pick in the draft. But then as you watched him play in 2017, the same exact issues that he had in 16 were there. There was no growth. And, you know, that's the thing with these quarterbacks is you want to see them not continue to make the same mistakes and overcome their deficiencies. And you just didn't see that with Josh Allen at all. And he was really exposed when they played, you know, against big time competition. That Iowa game certainly stands out. And you think about the Nebraska game in 2016. So the, the lack of growth and, and just the, you know, the, also the fact that he was kind of overhyped a, a little bit in terms of him being pegged as this premier quarterback prospect when there's notable flaws, it kind of puts people against him and, and almost forces you to really be even more deliberate about highlighting like why he's not this type of a prospect. He still winds up being a top 10 pick, obviously the third quarterback uh, taken in the draft. And uh, you know, the bills made a big decision here to, to kind of uh, believe that they could develop him. And that's Sean McDermott, the head coach and Brandon Bean, the general manager They're They put their legacy on Josh Allen. And so, you know, it's time to sink or swim and find out if, if they can get the best out of Josh Allen, which in terms of his physical ability is a pretty special player. So switching gears a little bit, uh, we definitely like to talk about 
you know, the ex-Packers. And uh, Micah Hyde was definitely a fan favorite when he was in Green Bay. Um, but it never really seemed like he was put into a position to succeed. He was sort of alternated between safety and cornerback and and sometimes a, a weird nickel position. Um, but he was never able to develop into a big-time playmaker. But he certainly did that in Buffalo last season. How are the Bills using Micah Hyde, and what has his role been on the team? Yeah, Hyde's been awesome. He, he was a pro bowler last year, and he's playing really well again this year. Uh, he's primarily a free safety for the Bills. He does do some work uh, in the box. Uh, he'll they'll walk him up a little bit, and uh, he'll do some work in nickel. But I mean, if you look at his snap percentages, it's it's predominantly as that free safety role. And uh, but at the same time, the versatility's there. So if they need him to line up and man against a certain slot receiver uh, or, or be that extra you know box defender, he's capable of doing that, which is a lot of what he did in Green Bay. And then. You know, he does get some work in the punt return game when the Bills definitely need somebody to go and, and get a fair catch, which is, is a big deal, right? So many times you see these, these punt returners, they don't field the ball and it's, and, and it rolls for 15, 20 yards. That's a, that's a big deal, right? That's field position. And, uh, and so he, he's reliable in that regard. So he's kind of been the quarterback of that secondary and, um, he's been a great, great addition for the Bills. And you think about Green Bay the year after Hyde left. I mean, that was last year and, I think the, the Packers gave up like over 100 passer rating against its coverage. And so, you know, it, it was kind of confusing to me, I guess, from, from a Bills perspective of wondering why, why did he get away? And then you saw literally the entire secondary almost flipped this year. So, um, uh, I guess my, I'd have, I saw this question on the script and I, I wanted to kind of flip it back to you and say, well, you know, wh- why did he get away? It's not like he was, you signed a massive deal with Buffalo. What was the, what was the, uh, the, 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 the force behind him not returning to Green Bay. Well, I we think have that no the, idea. <laughs> I, I would I would also like to point out that the the Packers are sporting a pretty sweet secondary with Micah Hyde at safety and Casey Hayward at corner. Yeah, right. Uh, Ted, Ted Thompson draft pick succeeding elsewhere. Mm. I'm sorry to hear that. Absolutely. So we are uh, very aware that uh yeah we we missed out on a good one there and it sounded like they didn't even really pursue him with a contract offer so uh that was even more devastating to hear that we just kind of let him walk out the door but we're glad that you're enjoying him in buffalo um i was going to say that it kind of seems like buffalo is in rebuild mode but Honestly, after you watched them play last week and beat a contender like the Vikings, maybe you guys are just going to make a run. Who knows? Um, but honestly, there is a lot of this Buffalo team that I don't know. Is there a position of strength that you just feel is, is an absolute position of strength for the Bills? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, this team, you, you look at the first six quarters of the, of the season, the Ravens and then the first two against the Chargers. I mean, they were looking like a team that didn't belong in the NFL. And then the second half against the Chargers and obviously the Minnesota game, it's a, it's a different team. Um, so uh, to to kind of look at their strengths, um, these are relative strengths. So we're not talking about like you know the 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 Rams defensive tackle situation or uh, you know some type of like uh, situation where it's an overly dominant unit in any way, shape, or form. But when I think about the best parts of the Bills roster, I do start with the secondary. And we talked about Micah Hyde, but Trey White, their number one pick in 2017 is a lights-out, lockdown, number one cornerback. Uh, and then also Jordan Poyer, uh, another safety that they signed 
the same year with Micah Hyde. He's been he's been outstanding as well. Him and him and Hyde are, are one of the better safety tandems in the league. So those three pieces in the secondary are definitely a strength. You look at the defensive line. I think it's a position of strength because they have some veterans. Not that any of these guys are superstars by any means, but you have Starlo Tulele, Kyle Williams, Jerry Hughes, and Trent Murphy. There's a lot of veteran savvy in that group. And then obviously the running back situation, Shady McCoy, he's going to play against the Packers on Sunday. Chris Ivory's a really good backup. And then Marcus Murphy does some really good things in space. So I think they're three deep at running back. And again, relative strength. Those aren't overly dominant units like, you know, anything that's going to be a top five thing in the NFL. But when you think about where the bills are solid, that's the three spots that come to mind. On the flip side is, is there an area um, of, of the team that you would identify as a weakness? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to mention quarterback. I mean, even though they have Josh Allen in the fray and he's the guy, he's the future of the franchise. I mean, we're, right now he's he's a rookie quarterback that's still raw and he executed a great game plan last week, but I don't think you can not mention it as a weakness right now. His playmakers are really underwhelming. I, I don't I don't think they scare anybody. They certainly certainly shouldn't scare the Green Bay Packers. So the you know, the pass catchers, the wide receivers, Calvin Benjamin, Zay Jones. Ray Ray McDonald, Robert Foster, these are the guys that Josh Allen's throwing to. Those are not dynamic weapons at all. And then also, also cornerback, too. So Trey White is really good on one side, and then his uh, the counterpart there is is not even known right now. It could be Lafayette Pitts. It could be Ryan Lewis. It could be Philip Gaines. But uh, all three of those guys are, are certainly a, uh, a spot, a player, that uh, you're going to want to get Devontae Adams or Randall Cobb on and, and make some plays because that's going to be a, an obvious uh, deficiency with this Buffalo defense. That'll be interesting to see if on Sunday they uh, have a little bit of, of a game with uh, Geronimo Allison having some luck with the guy opposite of whoever matches up with Devontae Adams. Uh, but we do want to ask you if there is one player from the Packers' current roster, not named Aaron Rodgers, obviously, we'll eliminate him from the discussion, but who would you steal? Who would you choose uh, to steal from this Packers roster for the Buffalo Bills? Yes, so keeping the Bills in mind, I think the player that they would want to pluck would be Devontae Adams. I mean, like I mentioned a minute ago there, their playmakers are just very underwhelming on offense, and and Adams gives them a skill set that they just don't have in terms of size and speed and ability to win at the catch point. And Calvin Benjamin obviously is a big dude who who can be a power forward, but he's super inconsistent. And he doesn't move anywhere like Devontae Adams. And so uh, that would certainly be where, where my eyes went uh, when I saw this question. That's that's the one that the Bills would want to pluck. I'll give you a draft pick if you take Kyler Fackrell off our hands. Uh, yeah, I like Kyler Fackrell. <laughs> I, I liked him a little bit coming out. I'll be honest with you. He hasn't done much, but um, I thought he had some ability. Sorry to see him not do it. Me, me and Kyler Fackrell are arch nemeses, so... I, I always have to throw that out there. Um, Andrew so, always has like, like a two-minute segment on every show about how Kyler Fackrell is the worst. That's basically a staple of the show. <laughs> Glad you got it in somehow. It's it's required uh, <laughs> listening. Uh, so one weird thing that Kyle and I discovered when we started doing the podcast together is that we both grew up as Buffalo Bills fans. Um, that was kind of our first love in the NFL. And um, the Bills Mafia has always been, or at, at least recently, has been something that I've been really interested in. So for reasons I cannot possibly fathom, the Buffalo authorities have said that the Bills Mafia can no longer power bomb other fans through burning tables. How that can be forbidden, I don't understand. But Green Bay has no such law. So, number one, do I need to worry about this this weekend when I'm going to the game, or more accurately, 
Um, can I find somebody who wants to power bomb me through a table? You do you want to be power bombed through a burning table? I mean, maybe that's, a, maybe that's a questionable bit. man. <laughs> okay, all right. Cool on Twitter, maybe. Yeah, I mean that would be a viral video. You'll get a retweet from me on that. So make sure you tag me, uh, so I can certainly <laughs> certainly don't want to miss it. Um, yeah, you definitely need to um, be aware of this, and I think it's a possibility. Uh, Buffalo is a very small town, but the the fan base travels extremely well. You know, there's probably some some fans that have uh, wanted a reason to get out to Lambeau Field, where the Bills only play every eight years. So. Um, you know, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of red, white, and blue out there amongst the cheeseheads. And, and if you're going to find a fan that's going to power bomb you through a table, find one. Uh, find one of the Canadian Bills fans. Those are the ones that you, that, that are going to be the most willing. So uh, find you a Canadian Bills fan. They'll drive you through that table and, and make sure you get that video on Twitter. Looking forward to it. I'm loving it. You heard it. Yeah, you heard it here first. It's a one in every eight year opportunity to be power bombed through a oh, table. So, that's it. So you've you got know. to take advantage likewise, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so we did have you uh, on the show to talk bills today, uh, but we know that talking NFL draft is your first love. And so the Packers used their first round pick this year on J- Jair Alexander. And if I remember correctly, Alexander was your highest graded corner in the draft even above Ohio State's Denzel Ward. And as fans, we've really enjoyed getting to watch him in these first couple games. He's certainly shown the flashes of the potential that the Packers saw in him. Uh, But, Joe, tell us a little bit about what it was about Jair that made you rank him as your top-rated corner in this year's draft class. Yeah, I loved Jair. I do love Jair, and uh, it's a shame that he doesn't have a game-winning interception under his belt right now. I'm still pissed about that. Uh, Yeah, Jair is a total package, and so – one thing I grade prospects numerically where I consider all the most important aspects of the evaluation and I, and I have a weighted numeric grade, uh, that scores them. And so when I went through all of the things that I grade cornerbacks on, there just wasn't a whole lot of deficiency. There's, there wasn't any limitations when it came to what I could do with Jair Alexander when forecasting him to the NFL. If I wanted him to play man to man coverage, I know that he can remain in phase. And, uh, and pattern match pretty much anyone. He's got quick feet, fluid hips, and he anticipates routes extremely well. If you want to play him in zone, he's got the route awareness, the spatial understanding. He understands how to layer uh, coverage and squeeze routes and, and be that zone defender and read the backfield and work into throwing windows. If you need a guy that's going to play and press and get up on the line of scrimmage and disrupt things early and, and uh, then be able to turn and run with, with – uh, with receivers, he can do that. So I love that there was no limitations with any of the techniques that I needed him to play. He's got ball skills. I mean, that's a guy that's going to break on some footballs. I think we saw that already this year. We've seen that in the preseason. He's going to create those game-changing interceptions, and that's a lot of times what separates a, a good corner from a great corner. The great ones are the ones that come down with big-time turnovers when they have an opportunity to get their hands on a football. So he's got outstanding ball skills both over his shoulder and playing forward. And then, uh, you know, I guess if there's one thing you're like, I wish he was was a little more physical. You know, there was times at Louisville when you watch him on tape where, you know, maybe the tackling wasn't exactly what I wanted it to be, or maybe he could have been a little more aggressive at the catch point. But, uh, you know, I think that's something that uh, it, it wasn't um, it wasn't overwhelming. You see some of these cornerbacks that are shy of contact and don't really want to, you know, stick their face in the fan. Uh, and, and so it wasn't something that I thought was going to be a total limitation uh, for him, but um, that was my only knock on him. It was a minor knock. Love everything else about his game, and my goodness, the Packers robbed the Saints. I mean, trading way back, yeah. picking up a number one pick, still getting what I think is the best cornerback in the class. I mean, that was masterful work. 
And and I, I freaked out a little bit when they traded out of that pick at first, but then when I saw what they got, I was like, yeah, I do that every day. That's awesome. You were probably hoping for Jair Alexander right there. It was at 14 or something like that. Yeah, I would have been happy with him at 14. Right. Now you got him, man. You got a number one next year. It's unbelievable trade. And I honestly didn't even watch a lot of film on Jair because he didn't fit the physical profile the Packers typically went with, and obviously – uh, with Gutekunst, they've changed that a little bit. But the one thing that I do remember is him strutting behind the receiver uh, after a pass breakup, which, which by the way, makes a fantastic GIF, as it's pronounced, Kyle, not GIF. Because oh, come on, man. It's definitely you're, GIF. Come gonna on. get a lot of hate. Don't do this here. We have a guest. <laughs> GIF. Wait, but, I, is, what is it? It's GIF. But like factually, if, or you just yeah. saying that? Yeah, no, I I know a lot of computers. I think nerds. Joe should break the tie. Joe should break this it's tie. It's GIF for me. I'm sorry. I'm I don't. I, look, it's oh, I my always, goodness. Thank you. GIF is peanut butter. You know what I mean? I'm 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 in trouble here <laughs> on the Twitter comments about this. But um, so speaking yeah. of the draft, I didn't watch a lot of Jair, but one of the guys that I absolutely loved was Tremaine Edmonds. Um, he was the youngest player in the draft, I believe, and had just absolutely crazy measurables. Um, in looking back at my draft notes, I had his player comparison as three question marks. Um, to me, he's just like so unique and so great. And and what have you really seen from Edmonds so far? Yeah, he. You know, I think unique is the right way to put it. Um, I wrestled with that comp myself. I, I actually went with Anthony Barr, who has just been horrible so far this year. Uh, but uh, him or Brian Urlacher, just those guys that are big, uh, long, physical, can win in space, can play into the line of scrimmage, you know, just super versatile linebackers. But you just don't expect guys of their size to move like that. And so, you know, that's the thing with Terrell Ed, or Tremaine Edmonds, excuse me, where he's just – he was 6'5", 250 pounds with ridiculous length, and he can win in space and he can cover. And, and he's really started slow. The first two weeks of the season, I mean, he was really kind of lost. I mean, he was falling for every false read he could possibly take. He was easily uh, moved out of space that he was responsible for in zone coverage by, you know, kind of just kind of taking the cheese every single time. And so when you watched uh, uh, both uh, Joe Flacco and Phillip Rivers, both of those guys took advantage of a lot of space that he vacated by, by false reads. Um, but that really changed against Minnesota, which is really encouraging because, you know, Kirk Cousins, he loves to find completions. And he's not necessarily a guy that's always going to push the ball vertically. And he's a guy that's going to take his checkdowns and he's going to hit stuff over the middle. And Tremaine Edmonds, I thought, really responded favorably. He was in position. He was secure with his tackles. But uh, when he's able to kind of key in uh, and find the football and, and he can just look his his explosive movement is really, really special for his size. He can fill those windows and close distances rapidly. It's just some some of the mental stuff. That's uh that's lagging a little bit, and you get nervous about that, or at least I do, going up against Aaron Rodgers, who's you know it, as good as you'll ever see manipulating defenses with his eyes. So he's got his work cut out for him against uh, against the Packers. Obviously, when anytime you you face Aaron Rodgers, like you guys don't know what this feels like. It's very scary because you know he can carve you up, and so you got you got a cornerback two situation that's scary. You got this linebacker here that you know for for the the better part of this year so far has been totally manipulated and uh, I get nervous about some of the space that Aaron Rodgers uh, can take advantage of. And I had an idea, you know, look, I know Aaron Rodgers is, is a little bit, uh, you know, getting that knee right. If you want to just take this one off, you know, get, get things right for the rest of the year, you'd, you'd get no gripes from me. Absolutely. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, we're looking forward to uh, seeing how these two teams clash when they get together. And we appreciate you giving us a little bit of a, 
a window into seeing this Buffalo team's team a little bit better than we would have normally. Uh, but again, thanks so much for coming on, taking time to talk ball with us. Uh, why don't you take us just a little bit into the draft network and tell us a little, little bit about what you guys are working on over there. Yeah, so Packers fans, right? You got two first round picks. Come on over, draftnetwork.com. Uh, this is a project that we launched in August and, uh, we've got a great staff over in place with John Ledger and Kyle Krabs, Trevor Sikama, Ben Solak. We've got Brad Kelly and myself, Paige Demakos. Uh, so we're, we're pretty stacked there with the staff and, uh, we are, we are just, uh, trying to reinvent how this NFL draft thing is covered. I mean, the NFL draft was more watched than than the NBA playoffs last year, and so we felt like the coverage across the board has just been underwhelming, and so we're really wanting to challenge the status quo, and if you go over to draftnetwork.com, I think you'll see the product that we're putting out and the coverage and dedication that we have to this thing already in September in August and in, in those types of early months where people are thinking about the month, the, the draft in January, February, March, April, we're going to try to make this thing a 12 month discussion. Uh, so our content we think is, is really outstanding, but we've got some interactive features that'll be coming out uh, later this fall in, in a mock draft machine, which is a mock draft simulator where you can go in you can be the Packers GM and you can, you can make those picks uh, throughout all seven rounds. And, and obviously we are also going to have a, a build your own big board. So you can stack your own big board and then use that in the mock draft machine to give you that opportunity to, to really uh, put yourself in the, in the driver's seat of being a GM and making those picks. So it, it's the, it's the content that we're producing and it's the interactive features and really excited about this project. And, and uh, thanks for the opportunity to talk about that and encourage everyone to check us out. Absolutely. It is a really awesome site. I spend a ton of time over there, and I know that that will only increase as we get closer to the draft and start talking about those two 2019 first-round picks that we do have as Packers fans to look forward to. But you can find Joe on Twitter at the Joe Marino. He is a really awesome follow, so make sure you do that. Uh, but thanks again so much, Joe, for taking the time to come on the Packers. Pack a day podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I hope you enjoy the game. Uh, we did want to leave you today with some injury r- reports and updates. Uh, the only Packers who did not participate in Thursday's practice were Justin McRae, Nick Perry, who is still in that concussion protocol, and obviously Muhammad Wilkerson, who was done for the year with that nasty ankle injury. Um, but out there on the field as a limited participant was Aaron Rodgers. It's good to see him out there for that Thursday practice, something he hasn't done in the last couple weeks. And a promising sign for the progress that he's having with that knee injury and uh, it healing up slowly but steadily. Uh, Brian Belago was also a limited participant in Thursday's practice. He's battling that back injury, but Coach McCarthy has said that he feels good about Brian and doesn't seem concerned about his availability for Sunday, which is really good news when you're playing Jerry Hughes and you already have backup right guard Byron Bell starting. So some good news there on Belaga. Also practicing in limited capacity were tight end Jimmy Graham, safety Josh Jones, and Kevin King. And in what was kind of an unexpected announcement, Randall Cobb showed up on the injury report today with a hamstring injury. We don't really know much more about that at this point, but something to monitor as we get closer to the game. Uh, as we get closer to the game and as we learn anything new about these injuries and how they may affect player availability, the Packet 8 team will definitely keep you guys up to date with any new information in order to get you ready for the game on Sunday. Absolutely, and so we are out of time. This has been the Pack-A-Day Podcast. Remember to follow the podcast on Twitter at Pack-A-Day Podcast. 
You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit, and you can find me at Andrew Merzig. Remember to subscribe to the Packaday Podcast if you like what we're doing. Tomorrow's episode is going to be hosted by Jake and Mark. And make sure you listen on Sunday to Zach and Matub getting ready for the game. You can catch Kyle and myself every Friday. We are going to be back next Friday with a preview of the Packers' Week 5 game with the Detroit Lions. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember... Rodgers gets the snap. Blitz is on. Rodgers scrambles He's left. Got winds up rainbow. Cobb. He's got Cobb in the 10 to the yes. To the end zone. Touchdown. And a dagger. Oh, my goodness. An NFC North Division Championship dagger of 47 yards. Hasselback maybe changing the play of the line. Looks left and right. Takes the snap. Short drop. Quick throw. Left side. Yes. yes. Unbelievable.